0: What in the hell is going I'll on? i just there? playing
1: some Paperboy, bro. <laughs> oh, man. I, I love that game. It was hard, though. Yeah. Okay, anyway, so I'm done. Yeah, Dodge is the... Of those... uh, um, go ahead, man. I mean, <laughs> what what, you know, what am I thinking here? Why would no. today be... I woke up this morning and I thought, I'm staring at myself in the mirror, breathing in, just soaking it all up of, of being this, my 40th year on this beautiful, God's beautiful green earth. Mm-hmm. And I looked in the mirror and I said, you know, I don't think today's going to be any different. And what I mean by that is I just had this feeling like somehow, in some way, at some mm-hmm. point, mm-hmm. Tyler was going to interrupt me. Well, I mean,
0: it's just, it's just how our dynamic is, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, you mean just like just sheer disrespect? <laughs> <laughs> just sheer, sheer, unadulterated disrespect. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the way it always will be. mm mm-hmm. Uh no, I was going to say Paperboy. It's one of those few games that like I could only beat like the first couple levels mm-hmm. and then I never could go any further and then but it always made made you kind of want to go back and you know, keep going.
1: Yeah, I don't know if you can hear what's going on in the background here. It's not Paperboy. It's uh people using like a front loader mm. tractor bobcat. Uh, in my backyard. So um, hmm. I apologize for any white noise if you've got this cranked up in your headphones. Ten point bonus. I have some more for the virus. Report suspicious activity call the call. 9-1-4. I can give you every shirt.
0: Hey all you ghosts and goblins, welcome back to your favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad. The podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minors in retro video games, pre-internet mysteries, and raising our kids to be half as cool as we were back in the 80s. I'm your host, Tyler Bentz, and this is your other host,
1: Woody Brown. What's going on, man? Uh, Besides uh, the folks in the backyard, you know, digging um, for... (laughs) I don't know what, bodies, whatever. Mm. Um, Not much. Tis the season. Tis the season. I Mm -hmm. mean, gosh, dude, speaking of the season, it's every single day getting cooler and cooler temperature-wise. There's Mm -hmm. more spiders around my house. In fact, it might be an anomaly. I might have to call National Geographic at some point. Mm. There are tons Mm -hmm. of spiders all around our house. And, of course, we keep them there. Man, that's free Halloween decorations. It's awesome. So Mm -hmm. I started off... <clears throat> is my voice doing that thing?
0: So it's I started doing, it off doing
1: something. Yeah, no, man, it's just weather. I started um, the month off with watching the first Halloween with Jamie mm. Lee Curtis. Oh yeah, It totally reminded me of. Have we already talked about? I feel like we've already talked about this on on the show. Anyway, what? I, if so, I apologize. You're going to get this uh, little explanation again. But I started the month off with watching Halloween, the very first uh, mm-hmm. movie that I put in the VCR. Instantly reminded me of my buddy Jeremiah Perez, who in high school, yeah. you know, invited me to come over and we went to his house and we watched Halloween for the first time. And this movie has, I think, a scene in it that to me is the scariest thing yep, I agree. possible. Now, I say that, and of course, there are a bunch of creepy, different things that could happen. But I mean, just realistically, in general, in life, this happening would just terrify me. Yeah. And that's the scene where Jamie Lee Curtis is sitting in school. There are, like, some blinds or something on the windows of her classroom. And, and she just happens to kind of look over and notice this guy across the street. Now, of course, we all know if you've seen the movie that it's Michael Myers
0: mm-hmm.
1: standing by this, like, old station wagon. And he's just standing there still, yeah. doesn't move. You know, Broad course, daylight. Broad daylight, man. Mm-hmm. Broad daylight. He's wearing this mask. So it's just terrifying on so many levels it's terrifying to think of him just walking around town with that mask on think about all the people that he passed you know <laughs> uh you know it's terrifying to just think of someone and to this day man you could ask my wife it gets on her nerves so bad you know she wants to have the blinds open all the time including at night around our house you know mm-hmm. i hate that because i have this like fear of just like looking out there and then someone's standing there, you know, it's there just he is. terrifying, man. Mm-hmm. You know, so I always just close those suckers, and she gets, she gets. Dude, I do
0: off. the, I do the exact same. I think that's a man versus woman thing mm-hmm. because every, I mean, I'll literally just walk through the house and just close all the blinds. Yeah, and she's like, "Oh, we need some light in here." And that's like, exactly nope. what Anne
1: says, man. Uh, no, we yeah. don't. It, it must be. It's got to be a guy thing. Slash, yep. both of us agree that that's a terrifying mm-hmm. thing to to see outside of
0: a window. <laughs> okay, so let's get into it. Um, we all have things that are just terrifying, you know, whether it be uh, clowns, or if you're my wife, uh, serial killers, or mm. anything demonic, which it's, it's sort of all tied together. Um, but, uh, you know, we all have these things that scare us, and usually there, there are things that are somehow linked to our childhoods. And um, so in my infinite search for, you know, anything new in the in the world of paranormal, we've sort of uncovered all the, a- the A-list characters. You know, your Bigfoots, gray aliens, Chupacabra, down to B-list, down to C-list. So I'm always looking for these sort of more obscure stuff. Uh, and if you listen to the last episode, a uh, perfect example is Sam the Sandown Clown, which... Oddly enough, this may actually tie into. But I'm always in the search for stuff that not everybody knows about. And in that search, I ran across a blog several years ago called fromtheshadows.blogspot by a guy named Jason Offit. And he posted a story called Night of the Harlequin. And this story literally Mm -hmm. has replaced all things. If there's anything that I'm afraid of, that I was afraid of, or anything from my childhood that I was like, oh man, that's really scary, or this is really scary, it literally just cleared all things out of the cache, and from then on, anytime I'm in the dark or home alone, or you know, hear something fall downstairs, or hear a loud noise, it's immediately filled with the Harlequin. So when we get back from the break, we're gonna dive in and uh, find find out more about this entity.
1: You have
0: 1 new message.
1: Hey, this is Luke Pilgrim with Sozo so Bear Films, and when I'm not busy making movies or music videos or hosting our filmmaking podcast, friends from film school,
0: I'm listening to one of my favorite new podcasts out there that would be rad. And we're back. Uh, so this is a story called The Night of the Harlequin. The thing in five-year-old Dan Mitchell's bedroom in southeastern Wisconsin only came at night. As Mitchell lay in bed, his parents far down the hall, a thin, androgynous creature would appear and tell him stories. It looked almost frightened. I would tell my mom about this, and she always thought it was just my imagination getting the best of me. But he knew it was real, and it looked like a harlequin. Its clothes were absolutely motley and strange, Mitchell said. Its face looked like it was in perpetual state of shock. Large, wide open eyes, too large to be human eyes, stared at Mitchell through the gray of night as words spilled through its always open round mouth. This being referred to itself as the Tooth Fairy. For whatever reason, I was never afraid of it, and I cannot remember anything it may have told me. It did, however, appear to try and comfort the boy if he began to look afraid. It always attempted to be funny and almost clown-like, so that I wouldn't shudder in terror. Was this some sort of imaginary friend I created? I wasn't that kind of kid. Mitchell's family never saw this Harlequin, nor did they believe him. I know this sounds crazy, but I assure you that I remember this high strangeness almost as well as I remember the normal events of my childhood, he says. Like one night in the spring of 1981, when the Mitchell family sat down for dinner... I remember that my dad was very agitated, Mitchell said. He kept saying that he was hearing somebody walking around upstairs. I was terrified by this because my dad was so agitated, he was a very tough guy, and I'd never seen him scared like that. Then Mitchell's father shot up from the dinner table. Terror splashed across his face. Immediately, there was a voice that he heard coming from upstairs. While I want to say that it sounded like a sinister and terrifying laugh, I believe it was just a howl of some sort that caused a tingling feeling up my spine. The next thing Mitchell remembered was his father laughing, the look of terror still gripping him. He was frozen with this awful look on his face, he said. Everybody at the table was just frozen. The next thing I remember is waking up at the dinner table with spilled milk all over myself and the table. His family simply resumed eating dinner, the laugh seemingly forgotten. This situation was so traumatic to my young mind that I honestly believe that I have blotted a large portion of this event out. Mitchell says, I've always thought that whatever was visiting me in my room at night was this person walking around in the upstairs of our house, possibly looking for me or wondering where I had went. Mitchell recently mentioned the dinner event to his father. My dad turned white like he thought it was a bad dream he had. He really was adamant about not talking about the subject any further when I kept pursuing it. As Mitchell grew older, the harlequin's nighttime visits stopped until he was 18.
1: Okay, let's stop right there and let's unpack Mm -hmm. uh, the first part of this terrifying story here. Okay, so you've got this guy, Dan Mitchell, and this entity, I Mm -hmm. like that word, that's probably the best way to describe it, um, starts visiting him pretty early on, right? Like when he's relatively young, sleeping there late at night, Mm -hmm. he wakes up and he sees this entity standing what beside his bed does it say anything what yeah no i mean so i'm gonna preface it
0: preface this you know the first time i I heard about this harlequin entity was on this blog and then you know a ton of research a ton of like trying to track down more on it and for the longest time i just couldn't find anything and then i remember reading about it on mysterious universe which is also a great podcast they have a blog and the same guy, Jason Offit, uh, did like a three-parter. So I can't remember if if some of the stuff that we're talking about is from that or if it's from his actual blog. But yeah, I don't I I, I don't think it ever. It's I know for a fact its mouth never moved. It just it looked like it was in a perpetual sort of state of shock. Hmm. Um, but I'm guessing that it was sort of was like telepathic, like it would speak, hmm. but you know, it's sort of a mental
1: kind of thing. Yeah. It's interesting to me, too, uh, when we were kind of doing the research for this story that, you know, he, Dan Mitchell makes a point to say that he didn't really feel scared, especially when he was younger and, and these encounters first started to happen. He never really felt like fear whenever he woke up and mm-hmm. he didn't feel like the, the entity was we'll called the Harlequin from now on. Right. He didn't feel like the Harlequin was posing any kind of danger toward him, which is interesting because to me... That's one of the most vulnerable like times for an individual, right whenever you're just dead asleep, oh yeah, and just the idea of something just being there. Mm-hmm. I mean, have your kids ever like come into your room like on a Saturday morning and you're just dead asleep and you just have this like weird feeling like something's just something's off and it just like rattles you and you wake up and all of a sudden your kid inches away from your face and just going, <laughs>
0: "Hi, Dad, yes, I have had yeah. that, but actually i've had um. Mm. My own sort of experience.
1: Hold on, before you say that. Here we I ga- go. No, man, dude, i got to say, I had to have, like, th- that happened often. Like, Woodrow would just come down the stairs, in little ninja feet all the way down, and come into our room, just dead silent, tiptoeing over, and he would just be, like, standing there, just waiting for us to wake up. Like, <laughs> And, I mean, he would just be, I'm not joking, when I say inches from my face, I'm not kidding. And I a head, wake a head-to-toe head, <gasps> harlequin costume. Yeah, oh, my God. <laughs> No, I would just be like freaked out. So I had to like sit him down and say, son, I can't control my reaction. There's Same. a possibility that I will punch you right in the face. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, huh? I just, you know, if you wake somebody up like that, you gotta announce so now we made him like he has to he like he announces that he's like awake basically from the top of the stairs being like, Mom, Dad. <laughs> um, which is Almost equally annoying. It's like six forty-five on a Saturday morning. Um, Oh yeah, but anyway, sorry. Go ahead. You had a similar experience.
0: Yeah, I actually had. uh, Well, I I have a um, an event that happened to me as a kid, but we're not going to go into that until further in the October Spooktacular episodes. But anyway, let me say this. You know, I've had my. I've sort of had an encounter, like I was saying. But there's something in this that. Resonated with me so much from the first time I read it, you know, years and years ago, almost to the point where I believe that, like, I don't know, should I get regressed? Because there's something that was so familiar about him saying that, like, it would always tell the boy, tell Dan Mitchell that it was the tooth fairy. Um, it smelled like wet dirt and rain. It looked, you know, it looked like its clothes were ancient and you know, like it had almost been buried or something. And there's just, there was just something. And this sort of androgyny, it was very androgynous and would sort of like dance around and like prance around the room. Mm. And um, man, it just, I've never been the same from the first time I
1: read this story. Mm, man, Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, that's one of those things that you read that you immediately relate to it and it immediately uh, terrifies you. It's kind of like that nightmare thing that I was telling you about that I had this recurring nightmare and I it's like I I want to find the movie that I think I might have seen or something when I was little that has this scene in it but I mm-hmm. have never been able to find it and so it's just like I don't know what's scarier the fact that I was a little kid that saw this movie and it terrorized me and I had this recurring nightmare because of it or that it was just literally something that happened in a dream and it's oh just you, you're
0: talking about like the
1: uh the skinless which, man
0: yeah which we've looked it up and can't there was find a it, dude. Well, there was like a there's like a poem about it or poem uh poem. about wow. poem. There's a, there's a poem. Yeah, there there was a poem about it called like Bonehead, hey, um, Bonehead Rex or something or
1: Yeah. I can't but remember. But then whenever I looked at it it didn't look like the, the thing. Yeah, it's kinda different. It's gotta be a movie, man. I think I'm gonna rewatch like the Hellraiser movies. I th- that's probably I think that happened. I think that's it. I
0: really thought that it was um I totally thought it was Nightbreed, but mm. I don't think it is. Have it's you watched was, that? You know, Well, that used to be one of my favorite movies as yeah, a kid. No. Where the dude I started like, watching it this morning, actually.
1: Oh man, it's amazing. But I haven't gotten
0: too far. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. Well, there's there's this dude that basically skins his whole body except he leaves like the skin around like his his face. And, oh, man,
1: uh, I wonder if that's it, dude.
0: Yeah, but I thought you said that yours the whole thing was sort of. I don't remember, Scanned
1: man. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Okay, we're getting hmm. up. We're, we're taking it Going down the, the rabbit trail. Rabbit. So he has this encounter. I also think equally uh, interesting is this, and, and I think we're going to see this theme kind of throughout um, mm-hmm. after kind of reading about this, that his father is in this extreme sort of denial about right. all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the same way that you were just talking about when you read this story and you had some recognizable elements of the story from your own experience, it kind of just like, Whoa, goodness. You know, like, Mm -hmm. you know, you just felt terrified this experience where they were all at the dinner table. They heard something. I mean, the whole thing just kind of weirds me out. I mean, can you imagine the, just the the behavior that the dad was doing super super bizarre, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. like just sitting up laughing, um, you know, almost inappropriately for the, you know, conversation or whatever was going on. Mm -hmm. And then that loss of time, the kid just all of a sudden, he's got like spilled milk on him and everybody's just kind of like acting
0: like nothing happened. And again, that there's the missing time. So that's, that's something else that I can kind of relate to. But Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't even imagine, you know, kind of coming to, and then you have milk spilled all over you. And then it was just like dinner just kind of just resumed, like nothing, nothing happened. And the fact that when he asked his dad about it, he was just kind of like, huh, I don't
1: know, you know?
0: Yeah, it's really bizarre, man. Um, especially the thought, which uh, if you guys want to uh, uh, look it up, I think it's on the Mysterious Universe app, or Jesus, if you guys want to look it up, I think it's on the Mysterious if you guys want to look further into it, I think it's on the Mysterious Universe uh, blog, but they go into how he thought that he could hear almost like robotic Kind of like a robotic type, like talking or something almost, which there we go. It ties yeah, us back into We might as well just
1: kind of dive into that a little yeah. bit. Just let's, let's, do us, it. let's just dive into this a little bit. Mm-hmm. As we were reading this story, Tyler, kind of um, rereading it or whatever, and, and mm-hmm. me reading it for the first time, man, thing after thing after thing reminded oh, yeah. both of us of Sam, the Sandown Ghost Clown. Yep. Right? I mean, even from. So, actually, dude, before we get into any more of this guy's experiences, can we kind of just talk about the history of just the Harlequin character in general? Oh, yeah. Because I think that's going to help people kind of put two and two together with it being somewhat similar to the Sam, uh, the Sandown Ghost Clown mm-hmm. entity. The character of Harlequin, or in Italian it's called Arlecchino. Mm-hmm. Is a character that originated in the Commedia dell'arte, which is like sixteenth century Italian improv theater. And so, the character itself is a wily and unscrupulous servant whose clothes were covered in patches. So, kind of, kind of reminds you me go. of Sam, the Sandown clown, kind of like mm-hmm. torn and and ratty clothes. His face was covered initially with like. Half of the face was covered with, like, a black mask with, like, a mustache and whiskey beard. To me, the most important part there is the face is covered with some sort of mask, right? This Mm -hmm. kind of morphs over time. The character morphs. But uh, in the early years, in the mid-16th century, Harlequin was, you know, like I said, kind of like a comedic character. He was a servant character, kind of cowardly, superstitious, and plagued by a continual lack of money and food. Mm -hmm. So, again... Think of Sam the Sandown Clown just kind of living in this bare bones sort of metal shed, eating berries that he found and collected on that golf course. Mm -hmm. And by the way, if you don't know what in the world we're talking about, and this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, go back to um, season one, episode seven of our podcast, Mm -hmm. the, the Sam the Sandown Ghost Clown episode. And um, and then kind of jump back in here. By the early 17th century, the Harlequin character had become more of a faithful sort of valet, almost like a loving character. It's also they they also describe the character in all of these different plays and stuff as being amoral, without being vicious though. Hmm. And unlike his fellow comedian or comedic servants in these plays and stuff he didn't hold a grudge or seek revenge against those who tricked or cheated him. Hmm. So that, you know, that kind of, I don't know when I read that the first time, it kind of struck me because it reminded me again of when Dan Mitchell saw this entity at, you know, in his bedroom late at night, I didn't feel scared of it. And it was kind of, you know, just like the kids, when they saw Sam, the Sandown ghost clown, Mm -hmm. they didn't, they weren't afraid of it because of just it's, I guess personality didn't come off as, like, a mean, right? And whenever I read things like amoral, a creature like that, well, almost like, um, you know, like an animal, right? An animal behaves via instinct primarily, right? They're, they don't have a moral compass that's right. helping them decide what to do next or what to do in general, you know? Mm-hmm. Sometimes a dog's just going to bite your hand because you got too close to its face. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Over time, the same costume right that was initially sort of like patchwork and tattered and stuff became more of like a tight-fitting costume that was more and more increasingly stylized with diamond patterns and stuff like that and as we'll kind of get into into further encounters that dan mitchell had with this thing throughout his life it seems to kind of change a little bit too here and there Mm -hmm. um i wonder if the the look of the harlequin kind of like what you said i
0: wonder if that sort of diamond, repeating diamond motif. I wonder if that originated from just pa- like multiple patches, patches to make stuff, up, yeah. you know, just Possibly. found out of junk or mm-hmm. you know, throwaway fabric, you know, yeah. to make make the clothes. Which again ties perfectly in with with Sam. Yeah,
1: it does. And again, it ties back in multiple ways into the way this entity presents itself in the future to this to this goddamn Mitchell as well because Mm -hmm. they also say like sometimes it looks more like a homeless person or something like that at times um now this dude this is the part that blew me away when I read it I, I mean it's just like when we start talking about our theories about what this thing is oh I can't wait this is where my mind was blown okay about this and the, again, remember, this is just the character that, that is in these, you know, 16th, 17th century theater, okay? Mm-hmm. Another attribute of Harlequin is his ability to do magic. Mm. The French version of the character could turn himself into different people. Whoa. The English Harlequin of early pantomime could transform the things around him by hitting them with his magic bat or quote unquote slapstick. Oh, wow. Yeah, mm. man. And like you said, it's really kind of difficult. You really have to dig to find any kind of significant mention of this in history or um, in other things. But I did find a couple of cool references. um, One which talked about similar creatures in different, um, well, parts of the world, but in different cultures. So one of Mm -hmm. them, uh, the Native Americans, the, the Hopi. The Hopi believe in a deity named... And again, if I'm butchering this, my apologies, but it's Masao, uh, Masao?
0: Yep. The yeah. Hopi
1: consider Massau an all-powerful earth god responsible for the earth's surface and of death. Mm. And Massau's description is similar to Milch- Mitchell's Harlequin. So there's this guy named Jack Linkhorst who works for this organization that's designed to assist the Hopi people now in modern times. Mm-hmm. And he said that he's actually seen this entity, Massau. And when he described it to the people, the the Hopi people, they're like, yeah, that's that's just massao And he mm-hmm. described it as his face has two large round eyes yep. and a large round mouth, and man. also, yeah, no man. And then, of course, there's a lot of mention, you know, you, you mentioned the the diamond patterns and, and all this, and I think even before the sixteenth century, characters such as this appeared in plays and stories and stuff like that, and, and you know, like the jester character.
0: Right, right, and, and like I think the, that's kind of a, just another name yeah. for the Harlequin, and
1: and just like characters that are like sometimes mischievous, and so in the North Norse mythology, I wrote this you, down too. Yeah, okay, <laughs> there you go. It, you know, it the Harlequin resembles that prankster Loki, and of course mm-hmm. we all know. I, I'd say the general public knows Norse mythology a lot better now that we've had thor and the marvel movies right. and, and of course loki but in different cultures the the trickster character appears
0: mm-hmm.
1: throughout the world in japan it's a, a pig in uh england it's a fox and the coyote in the american or in the native american culture um mm-hmm. but it you know obviously it can appear as like a clown as well like a jester
0: yeah um, and and you said something you know you were talking about the the trickster sort of concept um one thing that I think is is amazing is you know starting back in like the '50s and '60s, um, even John Keel, who wrote the Mothman Prophecy, he would sort of associate these UFO abductions and people seeing aliens or extraterrestrials. He had sort of created the the idea that that was also just sort of a carryover of this sort of trickster spirit or this trickster entity. Because, you know, you think about it, and even with, with UFOs, it's always something that's like just a little out of reach. It's always hiding in your periphery, so you, you'd see just enough. You know, Bigfoot's only seen the one time in the uh, the Patterson-Gimlet film, and, you know, it's it's always just out of reach, so you can't quite see it, you can't quite document it, you you know, obviously you can't do any sort of scientific method with it. And so he, you know, John Keel sort of associated this with just this sort of cosmic trickster. And that's sort of where I am with just the paranormal in general. As a man in his late 30s, who's kind of been into this my whole life, I'm to the point where I do believe, and as crazy as it's going to sound to some people, I think that whether we're talking about UFOs, whether we're talking about Bigfoot, whether whether we're talking about the Harlequin, Mothman, whatever, it's, I think they're all somehow linked to the same thing. I think it's it's basically back in like the 1600s in the UK or in, you know, Ireland or Scotland, there were things known as like the fairy abductions. And, mm-hmm. oh, don't don't go out after dark or don't chase uh, the Will of the Wisp or, you know, the fairies will take you off to, to fairyland and uh, you'll never be seen again. And, uh, you know, as we look at like the UFO, you know, into like the abduction phenomenon, it's progressively kind of built up and it's kind of the same sort of deal. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like, and I have I have several theories on this too, but like the book, uh, Passport to, to Magonia by Jacques Vallée, uh, you know, he even says... That he, well, he sort of he sort of poses some theories on people that say, okay, I was I was I woke up in the middle of the night and there was an alien gray. Compared to almost the exact same thing that people were saying 100, 200 years ago, you know, in Ireland or Scotland or uh, sort of the British Isles, it's pretty wild. I mean, it, and 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 so the idea is, does this entity, does this thing, you know, this trickster sort of entity? is it able to change what it looks like? Which again, this goes back to what you were saying about the Harlequin yeah. being magic and they could change the way they look. Is it changing into what we as people in the time that we're in would expect to see from like an alien visitation? Or is or do we play a role in it? You know, and this gets into physics and stuff, but like, is it just sort of this ever-changing thing? So whatever baggage or like whatever we're front-end loaded with, with what we think we're going to be seeing, you know, is that what we're going to see? Because it is interesting in, in the, you know, the twenties, uh, people would see, you know, uh, these airships come down and they were tan men and they were wearing like, you know, almost like wetsuits, you know, silver jumpsuits. And then you keep going up into the fifties and then it gets into these, these super random sort of vegetable looking really bizarre, like early 50s sci-fi you know but then you get into like the 70s or the 60s and 70s and then then it starts to carry over into like the alien greys you know which we still kind of i guess that would be the most sort of current thing that Mm -hmm. most people would see if they have an alien abduction uh but i just i find that really really interesting and i think there's a lot of like carryover on this stuff for sure
1: uh i think we need to dive into the other encounters because they're just oh, absolutely! Also crazy, but mm-hmm. first, I have a quick question: Is it better to be front end loaded or rear end loaded? <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's uh, not going to make the cut. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> oh man,
0: I, I did. I well, let's let's go into the, some of the other encounters. Yeah. Okay. Did I, did I lose you? <laughs> <Did> I, <laughs> am I go, am I doing it?
1: <laughs> I, no, I mean I. Okay, no, no, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Um, well, I'm a little tired of hearing you talk here, so let me... Uh, I do oof, feel like I've been talking okay. a long time. I'm not tired of hearing you talk. I'm just, like, exhausted, you know what I mean, of hearing you talk. Different. Mm, thank okay, you. Okay, do you remember how, you know, we talked about how this theme of his dad, Dan Mitchell's dad, sort of just being in denial of any kind of weird things happening. Right. For the most part, won't talk about it, refuses to kind of talk about it, that that we know of from, from these, you know, the, from this blog, essentially, um, that was written nine years ago. Mm-hmm. Mitchell knows that his father has seen the Harlequin at least once because they were together when it happened. Now, this is outside of when they were sitting around the dinner table and that kind of thing. So in 1991, so a couple of years later, because uh, I think all the ones that you talked about earlier kind of happened in the eighties and there's some other stuff too, with regard to his mom and his brothers and stuff mm-hmm. that we'll kind of maybe go back to. Yeah. Um That happened in the eighties when they were a little bit younger, but in '91, Mitchell and his dad were driving from their family's cabin in the woods, and I don't know if we've mentioned this already, but this is all kind of happening in in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. So they're in the woods, pretty rural, they're, yeah, pretty rural, and uh, also weird word to say, yeah, rural, very rural, pium pium pium. They were driving from their cabin, and there was always this like steep hill that they would drive down on the way into town. And sometimes when they were driving, he says that his dad would turn out the headlights on his truck as they would fly down this hill, just kind of like, you know, a little bit of like a thrill or something like that. I don't know if you've oh, ever yeah. done anything like that where you're just like driving in, you know, your neighborhood or especially out where, you know, you used to live growing up, Tyler, uh, where we where our practice space was for the modern society, you know, man, you're just out in the country. There's no street oh, yeah. lamps and all that. So you could turn off your The moon's out. And the moon, you know, you can still kind of see. And it's just fun to do sometimes. One night, they were going down that hill, and his dad just kind of thought, well, I better just keep the lights on. And so he turned the lights on, and they both noticed someone walking up the hill. Now, this is like at 9.30 at night, and when they get to the top of the hill in in the dad's truck, they see this guy walking on the gravel road, Mm. pushing a stroller. Now, if... You're listening to this, and you've never pushed a stroller before. Mm-hmm. Let me give you just a little heads up. If there's a gravel road in front of you, and you're pushing a stroller, my friends, you just don't go that way. No. Do you know just, what I mean? Just you're just never going to be able to... around. Yeah. You're like, sorry, guys. We're not going to be able to make it to the function. We'll see you later. <laughs> and you just do a, you know, about face, and mm-hmm. you know, push that stroller back on to the car. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's already weird enough. But it's also 9.30 in the pitch black and this guy's pushing a stroller. As they kind of drove by this figure, Dan Mitchell kind of sensed that just something was off. He could tell that this guy was kind of hiding his face and there was just something just not right about it. The figure disappeared in the darkness in the distance and Mitchell immediately just knew that they had just seen the Harlequin. He, he. It's like he just knew, like this sort of, yeah, like this, this, um, like familiarity, feeling. you know, mm-hmm. that same kind of vibe. But he could tell that his dad was a little weirded out by it as well, and that the dad didn't say anything. You know, he attributes that to more than likely the dad just trying to keep him calm and not be oh, yeah. freaked out. You know, which as like a dad, the woods. yeah, as a course. dad, that's you know, you do things as a dad to keep the kids calm. You kind Always. of just take in all the terror oh, for yourself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, you know just drink it up and just push it far far down <laughs> exactly you just drink it up and push it far. <laughs> oh my gosh okay like I said the dad is just always constantly sort of just in denial anytime things mm-hmm. happen even whenever within the presence of Dan the son mm-hmm. at the dinner table in this car ride he kind of just brushed it off as well nothing, nothing's wrong but other members of his family don't Really do that the same way, right? Mm -hmm. And and there's like a couple. So the mom had several sort of just oh yeah scary things happening. The first one was she would have this recurring nightmare. His mom is almost convinced at this point that this event actually happened. And basically, in the nightmare she had, there was a, a knock at their front door, right? And for some reason, she knows like in the dream or whatever that there's someone down there, but she won't go down there to open the door because she, for whatever reason, like I said, knows. And you know how it is in a dream. You Mm -hmm. just have this, like, feeling you know what's there. And she knew that there was a man just as a woman, or what she thought would be, you know, a man just as a woman, on the front steps, knocking on the door, waiting for her to come answer.
0: Which, at first glance, that could seem... Like, oh, that's really random and silly, and you could laugh it off, but, man, when it's tied into this Harlequin, this androgynous mm-hmm. thing, man, yeah. it's it's terrifying. Also, um, the trickster sort of spirit or entity, uh, whether it's Loki, whether it's Masao um, of Hopi legend, all these sort of, all across all these different cultures, it's able to change
1: its gender, which kind of crazy for sure and she would also have these other just crazy things happen um i can't remember exactly the circumstances but essentially i think for some time they lived in like a small house in in uh, wisconsin that had Mm -hmm. a a certain type of basement and in that basement essentially you could only get into the basement from an outside door kind of like a little in-law apartment kind of kind of yeah and uh totally not how i pictured it but you know i pictured like and it's my fault for watching the burbs somewhat recently. I just pictured this, like, dirt floor, freaking crawl space of a basement kind of thing. No, because um, that's
0: that's where his, uh, I think his dad had, like, had an his office, office or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, for whatever reason, for this specific encounter, I just made it way scarier in my mind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so you can only get in from the outside. It's got a lock on it. Well, the mom would constantly hear, like, people walking around down there and... Mm-hmm and talking and almost like running around and moving stuff and all this and she would even put her ear to the ground yeah you could hear them underneath them moving so she would get freaked out the cops got called out several times of course when they get there there's no broken windows the door is still locked and they're just like um mm okay uh thanks for the waste of time lady and so mitchell's dad worked at a gas station you know down the street or he owned it or something like that and would often work the night shift and so he kind of told her you know hey listen if this happens again call me instead i don't want the cops thinking you're crazy or giving, you know charging us or something just Mm -hmm. call me but this kept on happening two other times she ended up having to call her husband one of which even he was convinced that someone might be there so he shows up with his gun ready to do business oh yeah But when he gets there, same thing. No broken windows. Mm -hmm. The door's still locked. There's no way anybody could be in there. Well, another time, she, again, heard crazy stuff, even saw, like, shadow figures in the garage, man, and tried to call her husband and couldn't get a hold of him, and she was just terrified. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and
0: I I thought it was also interesting that um – when Dan talks to his mom about it later in life, you know, did you ever see anything? And and she tells him some of that stuff. And then she says, you know, immediately it was like, oh, well, the, the you know, the shadows or the people talking or walking around the garage, they were just burglars. But, you know, they never had anything stolen. Like you said, they never had any busted windows or, or anything like that. So it's just sort of, some sort of kind of an excuse, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that I did think was really interesting is... Um, I think Dan had two brothers, maybe, and the one had no recollection whatsoever, but his one brother, you know, he never saw the Harlequin, didn't know anything about that, but he had this weird memory as a kid where he remembers being chased by a homeless guy on this weird- Oh my gosh. oversized bicycle, or not even a bicycle. It had like three wheels- And he describes it like one that you would see in
1: a circus. Yeah, you remember those like the ones with like the. I pictured it as this like giant wheel in the front. You know, do you remember like a unicycle kind of thing? Kind of, but like it's like got a giant wheel in the front and then like two small wheels on the back. On the back, so it's like a tricycle, but it's got that giant wheel. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that time in New York, man? Before we played that show, we were hanging out outside of this venue. I don't know if it was the Mercury Lounge, man, but uh, we saw. Oh, Sam Rockwell on yeah, the on yeah. the street, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a guy on one of those bikes. Do you remember that? And we were like, what is this guy I doing? I think we made fun of him, though.
0: We were like, oh, this is hipster, you know. Yeah. Hey, man. get a, hey, antlers. hey, bro.
1: Get a 10-speed, you know? <laughs> But we might have seen a Harlequin, so that's what we did. Uh, uh, go visit. Yeah. Hey, Harlequin, if you're listening, go visit Tyler, not me. Thank you. No, Woody's kids would love it. Go oh, come me. on, dude, stop. Um, but the brother, uh,
0: you know, he's being chased by this, you know, what, they describe as a, what he describes as like a homeless man on this oversized sort of tricycle thing. And um, when he says that, when he tells Dan, um, Dan immediately remembers the exact same thing. But all along he's always he he remembers it vividly but he always thought that it was just some sort of dream so it's weird because it's like what's really
1: going on yeah man i don't know it's just it's just crazy i mean there's two other events that kind of stood out to me that that this guy has experienced this happened in 2009 they were living you know just briefly with their uh, his mother-in-law and it actually was just a few blocks from the house where he grew up well you know where he first experienced the harlequin <laughs> apparently when they moved into his mother-in-law's place he kind of found out well looks like this thing may have been waiting for him all along one weekend he was helping his mother-in-law clean and organize her basement and he decided to get a jump start to the day before other responsibilities would creep in and before his wife and kids would be awake and so he woke up around six thirty in the morning and within the first 10 minutes of going down to the basement he kept hearing like a tapping noise coming from upstairs by the back door hmm. and he said that it sounded like somebody was gently tapping the window of the back door Danny and, oh my god at first he thought maybe it was just the wind you know, maybe it's just a tree branch knocking up against the house. But then it started to get louder. And almost instantly, it went from a tapping to some quick thuds on the door that just stopped abruptly. Hmm. He says that he felt like someone was knocking rather desperately. He got pretty startled by it. Like, oh, man, I, I wonder if somebody's in trouble or okay or whatever. So he grabbed a, uh, like a piece of pipe... For protection he goes to the top of the stairs and notices that whoever was knocking on the door was walking away from the door toward oh, the boy. alley mm-hmm. he can only see this person from behind the back immediately his heart just sank he knew immediately that he was looking at the harlequin And so he said that it walked from the door like a bad theater actor and it wore a blonde wig, a black winter cap, and reddish pink pants with the legs of the pants pulled to the knees, revealing unnaturally pale skin. Mm. It wore penny loafers with no socks and a winter coat with ruffles sewn onto it. Sewn on, yeah. That was the scary part for me. It's like, and then it says for a brief second, he thought it maybe was like a homeless person but then he's just like, there's just no way there, there's just no way he said that these things can communicate that they aren't human just by their presence, right He says, "I can't describe this, you just can't mistake in it once you see it
0: well and he also talks about how he can just kind of tell like he'll just feel like, oh it's it's close or mm-hmm. you know
1: when it, when it's around him, which is man, that's scary. He closes this encounter up with. As it turned down the corner to go beyond our, behind our garage, I caught a very quick glimpse of the eyes. The orbits were gigantic, and the face was expressionless, almost mask-like, the mm. thin mouth almost too small for the face. Wow. I mean... Which leads, leads me to
0: a, uh, a phrase that says, Thin yellow uh, oval lips which did not move when he spoke. always open round mouth
1: yeah dude exactly and and then the fact that this person entity whatever it was sam the Sandown clown like had sewn Mm -hmm. ruffles onto a winter coat to make it it's almost like you know it made its own homemade Mm -hmm. jester costume because that's its identity right Well, well even even
0: sam trousers and sleeves were long and frilly Exactly, man.
1: Jeez. And that 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 pale, unnaturally white skin.
0: Mm-hmm. My yeah. God. You know, again, these are these are two D list at best paranormal characters or entities, but man, I really think that we've sort of drawn a line between the two because there is a lot of weird similarities between mm-hmm. these. It's yep. I mean, it's fascinating. It is,
1: man. It's so strange how similar they are there's just so much about it that just seems i don't know just familiar about it you know Mm -hmm. okay lastly before we get into what we think it is
0: Mm -hmm.
1: are you going to talk about uh the meeting in the park
0: no i didn't i didn't know if we were going to go uh that far into have
1: to man okay yeah go for it with like each encounter it just got increasingly more Mm -hmm. terrifying to me and this was the ultimate out of all of them this one definitely just scared me the most i heard recently actually listening to one of our favorite podcasts you'll hear us talk about them often Mm -hmm. bigfoot collectors club on one of their most recent episodes they were talking about how um i think it was i think it was michael had this experience yeah when he was filming this uh horror movie he was i think they were in a Another country or something. And I want to say, God, was it Wes Craven?
0: Oh, you're right. It was Wes Craven. Was mm-hmm. it? Are you sure? Mm hmm. I know for a fact.
1: He was, he had this like, Michael had this insanely terrifying experience. And the next day on set, like, I mean, shook him to the core, insane experience. And I'll let you guys go and, and listen to it. I, I, I wouldn't be able to do it justice. It's just very, very scary. And, and he told Wes Craven, the director of this movie, Uh, or the producer of the movie, about this. And Wes Craven said, well, I mean, next time you see this entity, Mm. ask it what it wants. Mm. And so what's interesting is with this Harlequin, basically Dan Mitchell decides to do just that. He's scared. This keeps on happening. Without a doubt, it's happened in some way, in some form, to the other members of his family Of course he's scared. He's panicked. But more than anything in the world, he just wants some answers. Like, why is this thing following me? What is it about me that that makes this thing keep on Mm -hmm. showing up? What did I do? What does it want, right? And so he kind of just has this almost, I don't know, man. He just keeps on having these vivid dreams. About a year later in 2010, these dreams get more and more specific, really. Almost as if it's telling him, where to meet. And so he really felt that around, I think it was April, late April of 2010 that he he was supposed to go to this park before sunrise
0: mm-hmm.
1: to meet with this Harlequin. So he says, you know, against his better judgment, he decides to go there, really just kind of having the impression that nothing really would happen and that he would get there, nobody would show up. Nothing would happen. The sun would come up and he'd be like, "Ah, you know, I'm just being crazy. Mm -hmm. But he says that he was completely just profoundly wrong. Just before the sunrise, he drove to this park with a playground near his house. He sat on this bench just like he had seen in his dreams and didn't take anything special with him. No weapons, no you know lead pipe from his mother-in-law's basement no cell phone no audio recorder nothing like that but this is interesting as a precaution he taped his driver's license to his leg in case his wife had to identify his remains that's i mean that's pretty serious man that's uh that's a step i've never taken and i hope never to take right Mm -mm. right so obviously he's a little anxious I probably would have gone maybe one, two, three steps further instead of just, you know, <laughs> the duct taping, uh, the license to, you know, my inner thigh. Mm-hmm. I probably would have I probably would have brought a lead pipe. You understand? Oh, yeah. A gun, oh, yeah. something, a flamethrower, uh something. So after sitting on the bench for about ten minutes, he realized he just has this feeling again, man, that he's not there alone. We've all had that feeling, right? I mean you're oh, you're, you're you get that weird creepy vibe that you're just not alone in the room. And he said that he immediately felt like he'd made a mistake. Mm. He immediately felt like he just wasn't prepared. Uh, hey, hey Dan. Hey, hey, Dan. If you decide to go anywhere again to meet up with any entity or, you know, anything like that, take more than your license and a strip of duct tape, you know what I mean? Especially one that
0: tells you to meet at a location oh, in boy. your
1: dreams. You don't, I mean, look, man, is it, <laughs> I don't, it could be my Italian background here, but you don't show up to a sit-down. Mm Empty-handed, okay. At least bring a switchblade, man. Yep, yep. Okay. Anyway, so he's got that—the tingling in the back of his neck—and said that it was almost as if something physical was pushing itself into his mind. He, at that point, distinctly heard a voice say, "Do you remember when we used to dance and sing together, Danny?" Oh my god. Oh my gosh dude when i read that oh me too i got full body chills man yeah i mean that is just oh yeah but here's what's cool so he says obviously his heart dropped utterly because it was clear that there was a presence right behind the bench he was sitting at Mm -hmm. he he said he'd never heard a voice so incredibly rich while possessing no accent or blemish of any kind in his mind there's no doubt this is the harlequin he, he just sat, he was just suddenly frozen in terror. He just sat there and he kind of turns his head slightly. And as he does, he makes out the harlequin's thin form standing less than 10 feet behind him. Man. He says it was just as he always remembered it. It was an old, androgynous, human like being that still possessed the features of a child with that typical shocked look upon its face. It became almost clear immediately that this thing was so far beyond humanity that even in his most profound moments of despair or spiritual elation, he had never experienced anything like wow. it. it. had a certain amount of animal nature to it, even though it was far above the animal kingdom in respect mm-hmm. to its self-awareness. He said that he was convinced that it had the potential to destroy the world if it wished. Whoa. He sensed that it had no human morals, no human sympathy, and it, and it just felt like this ancient entity. Mm-hmm. The type that operates by an entirely different set of rules rules that transcend morality in ways that we don't even understand Mm. he said that he was just completely terrified and just overwhelmed by this presence that he just yells please don't kill me and just bolts for his car oh yeah and then he said that it became immediately obvious that the harlequin felt a horrible sorrow at his response as if it had been rejected completely The way he kind of closes it up is, like he says, it communicated things I I did not want to know or even believe in. It revealed to me how my own view on life and my reliance upon traditionalism as a worldview was laughable at best. He says that he gets the impression there are more harle. This is unreal, man. There are more Harlequins out there watching humanity from the shadows lurking in the corners of our lives. They're disguising themselves as homeless people. I'm sure of it, he says. They are hiding out and carrying out some kind of
0: mission. One thing that I thought was really interesting about that, too, is, um, is how he, he basically says that it had sort of a, like a sadness, mm-hmm. you know, when he left, almost like it, it was sort of like a rejection mm-hmm. kind of type thing. Um, and, you know, again, this goes back to your wife Anne's theory on mm-hmm. Sam, the Sandown yeah. clown.
1: Yeah, she had a cool theory, man. We were kind of just chatting, I guess, one morning about Sam the Sandal Clown, and she was saying that, you know, even though, of course, the, the tale from the time capsule was very spooky to her and stuff, that overall Sam didn't, and you know, this might just be again like a girl guy thing. She just almost immediately felt more like of a motherhood sort of draw to him, I guess. And she no said way. that he's yeah, no, he <laughs> seems more like a. um like an Edward Scissorhands type of character, right? So like this creature that was just kind of put together and is super innocent and simple minded and, you know, is you know, because of that simple mindedness can kind of relate to children more and is kind of drawn to children more because it itself you know, it's just kinda of like a kid doesn't wake up in the morning and say, you know, I can't wait to play with an adult, right? They mm-hmm. you get you get kids in a room together, they're gonna play with one another and interact with each other much more comfortably than they would just like some stranger, right? And so that was kind of her take on Sam the Sanddown Clown. But after reading this stuff, though, man, and after really, really digging in deep, I've got my own set of theories on it all. I do, too. Well, let me say
0: this, too, uh, before we get into that. So in my research, I ran across several things that really sort of struck me. And, um, you know, this is a common story that most of you know. And it's called the Pied Piper, you know, where basically there's a guy that's plays a little flute, and leads all the rats out of the town. Well, the interesting thing is that that story um, is actually a true story, and it's called The Pied Piper of Hamelin. Uh, It happened in Lower Saxon Germany in the Middle Ages in 1284. Basically, this guy came through the town playing a pipe, or like a little flute, and lured 130 children from their homes to never be seen again. What's crazy is I think there were three kids left that witnessed this uh, this Pied Piper, but I think one of them may have been blind. And then there was another one who, um, he was sort of disabled or whatever. Basically, they said that he he was known to take them to a beautiful land at the top of Koppelberg Hill or Koppelberg Mountain, which would be Transylvania, which that's another sort of interesting thing. Um, the Church of Hamland has a stained glass window. This is One of the main reasons that they kind of know this is it dates all the way back to 1300. Uh, The window was created in the memory of the tragic historical event in the town. The earliest written record is from the town chronicles in an entry in 1384, which says, it has been 100 years since our children left. The Lundberg manuscript in 1440 gives an early German account in the year 1284. On the day of saints, 130 children born in Hamelin misled by a piper clothed in many colors to Calvary near the Copan and were lost. And so Calvary is like a biblical reference to their deaths or to heaven. So it's it's really, really interesting. Like there's all these like little things that kind of like tie together, you know? And one of the things too that, you know, in doing this research, uh, there, there's a paranormal author. He, he passed away in 2018, but his name is Brad Steiger. He was the author of this book. He's written like 160 books or something crazy. But um, he wrote a book called Real Monsters, Gruesome Critters, and Beasts mm. from the Dark Side. And yes. he said that it has visited Dan because it, vis- it has visited countless children over countless centuries. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you know, you tie it into like, well, maybe the Pied Piper. It, it was clothed in many colors, just like all color Sam. Yeah, and know. it's like, what is this thing?
1: Did you come across that character called the Earl King? Yes, and that's that's uh, that's exactly
0: what I was about to say. So Brad Steiger also cited in the same book. Uh, he cited a poem written in 1782 by uh, Johann Wolfgang Johann, Oh God Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, entitled Earl König. He's the supernatural abductor of children. Steiger said, "We're talking 1600 years or something, and the Harlequin is coming back." This is just the name for all the other entities we've talked about for so long. Mm -hmm. Looking at all that, I sort of discovered that, you know, for me, and I may be burying the lead, I think this is a good time to kind of get into somewhat sort of theories. Yeah. Um, You know, like I said at the top of the show, I think that uh, I'm, for a long time now, I've been fascinated with, like, and this is going to sound crazy to non-paranormal folk, but like, fairies, uh, they're called the fae, um, or like elves, or like the hinterkind, or the hidden folk. Um, Will of the Wisps. Yeah, all that stuff, you know, it's really, really heavy in like the British Isles, and Ireland, and Scotland, and um, unfortunately, you know, Disney has kind of totally made it different from what it is. I mean, you know, when we think of fairies, we think of, of Tinkerbell, and and all this, and it's just that's not ex- that's not at all the way these things were spoken of or um, you know talked about hundreds and hundreds of years ago and so there's there's a few other accounts on the mysterious universe where they're talking about possibly seeing the Harlequin too like out in public, and you know they'd see one and, and it would cross the street, and then they would look back and it's totally gone. but both of these women immediately said that they felt like it was the Fae. they felt like it was like you know fairies and again i know it sounds crazy but they they said it felt old otherworldly and familiar and so in irish folklore it's called the people of the mounds elves fairies they live in like these sort of fairy domed fairy mounds they live in basically an invisible world alongside humans that sounds a whole lot like a parallel universe mm-hmm. which is kind of like sam the sandown clown mm-hmm. in scottish folklore the daoine sìth consider them ancestors spirits of nature are old gods. They are thin, large head and eyes, androgynous. There's all these things. And the name Mitchell is Scottish and Irish, which again, if this is like sort of what would be called like an elemental spirit or like a spirit of the earth, basically, Mm -hmm. it's like an ancient thing that's always been here, you know? And I think it transcends like the idea of like a ghost or anything like that. When I say spirit, I mean like It's just sort of like the encompassing of the land. So either it's just of the place that they're in, or something that's like a generational thing that's following Dan and his family. You know that that's another interesting thing. And you know, again, I looked it up, and Mitchell is Scottish
1: and Irish. So Hmm. maybe Maybe it's something like ancestral ancestral, connection there. Okay, so before we get too long in the tooth, as Mm, they say, that's a good one. Can I give? what I think. Oh yeah. Or just some theories that I enjoy. Okay. So first off the idea of just elementals in general and any kind of old ancient, I don't even know what you would call them, but like beings or life force kind of Stuff. There's all these cultures across the globe throughout the span of time mm-hmm. that we all end up kind of getting pretty close to the same thing without yeah. any kind of communication. Now it's different now because you know we can post a picture on Instagram and people from across the world can see it, and people listening to this show, for example, all around the world, and it's just much different. Communication is much easier between the continents. But back mm-hmm. in the day, it was almost impossible if it happened at all, and so. Just that concept of of these, these being, these being creatures that, or or just let's just say beings that have p- potentially existed, and maybe even predated mankind in some mm-hmm. way, you right? Know? And having these powers that are inexplicable to humans, and even though it's like extremely terrifying, in a way it was kind of comforting how it all kind of ended in that he. Nothing, no harm, you know, ever came. Well, you're leaving out. (laughs) Which one, man? One big thing about his kids.
0: Oh, dude, I didn't read it, man. You're about to freak me out. What happened? What? Oh, my gosh. my gosh. No, no, no. It says, the Harlequin isn't finished with Dan Mitchell. It's getting at Mitchell through his children. While we were eating breakfast, my daughter, who just turned four, said, a guy came in my room last night and he got in my head. My heart sank a bit, and I can't know for certain that this means anything. My son has also made mentions of someone coming out of the walls and playing with his pillow. Oh, Although it's sometimes okay. difficult to interpret the words of a child, something about his children's descriptions sound all too familiar. He said, The whole in my head thing really was reminiscent of the intuitive communication I had with this thing. So. Okay. I, I think it's I that's my thing. I think it is a for all those folks that are just not into all this stuff, talking about fairies and elves and stuff, mm-hmm. I'm very sorry. I get it. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> but my thought is that it is some sort of elemental ancient thing. But I think that it's following like his family. I think it's a generational
1: mm-hmm. thing. The fact that there isn't a definitive answer definitive answer makes it mm. all the more entertaining and fun. Because now this just creates more reason to read more about the Fae and dig deeper into multiverse and all these kind of things.
0: Neither Woody and I have have read this, but there's another paranormal author. Her name's Steph Young. She's really amazing. Her and Dan Mitchell actually co-wrote a book called Behind the Masquerade, The Harlequin, which uh, I'm probably ordering a copy today. Yeah, we're
1: definitely going to have to check that out. I think we've taking up a lot of these folks' precious time, and if oh, you yeah. made it this far, I just want to say you are the ultimate rad for sticking with us this long. It was just there's so much to this story. I know we're going to dig deeper once we read the book and get some more first-hand accounts
0: from Dan Mitchellums.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And actually, maybe down the, down the line, we can uh, we can have Dan come on the podcast.
1: Oh, absolutely! And hey, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts do us a favor and take a quick second to leave us a review. Give us a couple of stars. Five would be the best. And, uh, you know, it would mean the world to us. It would really help us out and help us to grow. Or maybe you want to leave us a voicemail on our answering machine. Well, if you want to be featured on our show and get instant access to our super top secret phone number where you can leave a message on our answering machine, then send us a direct message on Instagram. You can find us there at That Would Be
0: Rad. Or if you just want to shoot us an email and you don't feel like talking, but you just want to write out an email of scary stories, mm-hmm. send it to ThatWouldBeRadPod at gmail dot com.
1: That's right. Awesome, man. Well, as always, we always say this. We mean it with 100% sincerity. It is, and we talk about it literally every day. It's absolutely amazing to us that we can start a podcast from absolute scratch. Podcast. Did I say podcast? (laughs) Did I really do? Just keep going. You're you're fine. fine. We we can start a podcast from scratch and all of a sudden have listeners from all parts of the world and we can get these incredible messages from our listeners on Instagram telling us about what they liked about the show and, and interacting with us. It just—it's just amazing. It's literally—it just makes doing this so much, so much more meaningful. Really, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we—we we appreciate you, each and every person that listens to this show, so much. And—and and we're so glad that you're along for the ride. I hope you're having a great spooky October so far.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So until next week, be rad. <laughs>